Tonight we're going, um, Casey, I agree with you, one of my favorite passages. It's um, on, the one, on the one hand, uh, this passage is, is so plain spoken that no matter who you are, you can just pick it up right there where it is. And on the other hand, the books could and should be written about this passage. Um, and I, I'll tell you, overall, I think the problem we might have with this passage is it's calling us to this other sort of life that may not be like the culture we in. It's calling us to be in this life where we see every person's inherent worth, the dignity that God has given them, and we're called to live in these communities of sharing, both giving and receiving. And uh, that takes a lot of humility. It takes a lot of humility to be a person who's giving of uh, your skills, your knowledge, your wisdom, your resources, but it also takes a lot of humility uh, very often to receive. And what I love about this passage is he's just coming off of saying, hey, watch out for false teachers, and the best way to watch out for them is don't be one of them. And as you're not being a false teacher, teach the people of faith how to live the Christian life. And so tonight, uh, literally, I, I, I have wrestled for a couple weeks with how far to go with this, and you guys are going to get the simple version, and I pray you'll go to life together this week, and I pray you'll wrestle through these things. Every clause in here is worthy of a lot of discussion. What does it mean? How do we live that out? And I just, I exhort you guys to, to go to um, small group, and, and, and you say, man, I'm not in a small group. Well, okay, get in one. <laughs> or make an appointment with somebody and go have breakfast or lunch and wrestle through this passage because the application here will consume your life. You say, if I take this on, my life will be consumed by giving and receiving. And, uh, and it'll, what will happen is natural. Real Christian community will be experienced in your life. Real Christian community. So tonight, if you have your Bibles open, and I pray you do, if not, it's fine, it'll be on the screen, I pray you'll look with me at Titus chapter number two, beginning at verse number one. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women make beautiful lovers. Oh, no, that's a country song. My bad. I that's okay. That's from the seventies. I, you know, sometimes the thing it shorts out. Let me. Okay, care. Make a note. We need a larger print Bible. Okay, honey. Okay. By the way, she's fifty-two. So, um, where was, where was I, guys? Was I reading the Bible? Okay, I was seeing. Was anybody with me? Because y'all seem kind of quiet. Praise God. Whew. Bill, you'll be glad to go to India. Like, I got to get away from this guy. All right? Amen. Verse three. Older women. Likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger women to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. 
Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not, not pilfering, but sh showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, open it to us and help us to see the life that your spirit wants to deliver to us. Help us to see the life that you want us to, in partnership with your spirit, cultivate together. And then, Father, help us to go farther than seeing it. Help us to receive it and to long for its application. Help us to live it. In Jesus, I pray, amen and amen. I want to get right to the chase. This passage starts out with something that, that I, you know, I really treasure as an elder in a local church. And I'll say it's this. Biblical elders often lead a but life. A but life. Now, notice you grown middle school men. It's only one T there. This is a but life, not a but life, okay? Um, where's Morgan? Morgan knows I'm a middle schooler at heart. She gave me a whole sticker of a whole page of stickers of butts yesterday. And, and I just delighted. I giggled like a middle schooler. This is a different kind of butt, okay? Say amen. Now, our dear sister Elizabeth had a saying she said all the time. What was it, y'all? But God. Why? Simple, if you knew her at all. There were her circumstances that, that no doubt were overwhelming her. They were very difficult to handle. She would say, but God. There's what she could see, but there's a God who is able to do far more and exceedingly abundantly above all that we could imagine or think. All right, so elders are to be sort of butt kind of people. You say, preacher, where do you get that? Go back and look at chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, what is this responding to? This is responding to the words before that. This is responding to those people who are insubordinate. This is responding to people who follow legalistic doctrines. This is responding to people who follow along the culture. This is responding to all those things from last week's passage. And he's saying, but don't you do that. One of the number one phrases American grandmothers have been using for 100 years is, if you saw your friends jump off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge? The problem is <clears throat> we're in a Tide Pod eating generation. <laughs> so you can't really ask the young people that question. If you saw your friends jumping off a bridge, yeah, yeah, I'm going first. I'll never forget, we first started using this building. We first started using this building. Brett and I were with some young people. You'll know exactly where I'm going. Look, look he's pointing at his head. That's where Brett keeps his brain. <laughs> I think, right? Okay, sometimes. Okay. And uh, I don't know whether it was you or me who said it, but some, we said it was, it was me, okay. Well, these guys, these, these tough, these, these very, uh, this is a rural town. It will always be a rural town, but these guys were all influenced by urban people and they want to wear certain clothes, have certain shoes. They want to project an image. And, and I said something like, well, if one of these, these guys, these rappers were, were wearing football helmets, you wouldn't go around with a football helmet on. And one of the guys without pauses, I ain't going to lie, I probably would. 
Christians don't just look at the culture and reject the culture just because it's the culture. What, what Titus is being told by the Apostle Paul here is teach sound doctrine. Tell people to get their cues, not from their flesh, not from their cultures, not from their whims, not from their desires. Get your culture from the word of God. So many times, many times, elders are leading our people to have a butt life. You know, like somebody might even come to you and say, well, you know, everybody's doing such and such. And I might, you know, like I might, I'm picking on Sean because he's so, y'all know Sean's so loud and abrasive and all, right? <laughs> Sean might come to me and say, but all the guys at work are doing this. And I'm, I might be able to say to Sean, but Sean, we Christian men are not doing what they're doing. We're doing what God calls us to do. One of you young people might come and say, they're doing this at school. They're doing that at school. And I might say, but we don't get our cues from your friends at school. We look into the scriptures and we find out the wisdom of God, the truth of God, the doctrines of the Bible, and we pattern our lives after that. Am I making sense to anybody say amen? amen. So it's a butt life. I like how the New Living Translation, I didn't put it on the screen, but the New Living Translation basically translates this verse, paraphrases this verse, by saying it like this, promote the kind of living that reflects right teaching. Now, I don't know, do any of you guys in this room get a lot of influence from your grandparents? Anybody? Raise your hand. I'm not going to shame you, I promise. I, I was heavily influenced. Uh, my mom would even tell you they were so busy, particularly when I came along, I spent the first four or five years of my life more with my grandmother than anyone else. And my grandmother was one of those kind of ladies who could get about five gallons of spit on her thumb and put your, you know, put your calic down. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it was, I, I think my grandmother's spit is where they got that Gorilla Glue from. I think it's a recipe. My, my, grandmother, my grandmother grew up, she, she had an eighth grade education. She grew up as part of the working poor, but when she went to town, she put on a sun hat. She wore white gloves just to drive in. And then she would, she would walk around with those white gloves. I could see her now hanging off her hand, little purse and all this stuff. And, and grandmother thought going to town with just a T-shirt on was appalling. She just thought that was appalling to not, to not have a collared shirt on to go to town. And so my grandmother was basically like one of these fancy restaurants that makes you put on a coat and tie. They keep some extra ones. My grandmother would keep an extra shirt. So I could show up in that T-shirt, okay? And I'm going to tell you what you would do. As soon as you got out of the car, you go to tucking it in before you go in her house. I mean, seriously. You just got to tuck it in. And uh, she'd say, is that all you have with you? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Well, we got something. And I don't know how she always got them back because I never. if I went home with them, I never brought them back. But she always had a collection, probably because I got a 1,000 cousins and they just left them laying around. I don't know. Now, silly illustration, but what was my grandmother doing? She was saying she doesn't care even what her son and her daughter-in-law are doing as far as it comes to dressing me. She doesn't care what my peers are doing. She doesn't care what the norm is. My grandmother's saying, I am going to switch you up. Did you know most of the battles you're going through in your life right now is God leading you to a switch up? He wants to give us his culture. Now, see, this is actually pretty cool. 
And so elders are tasked here in the scripture not to be unsubordinate. They're tasked not to be devoting themselves to the wrong teachings. They're tasked to be on point. They're tasked not to do things that would defile them. They're tasked to not be about shameful gain. Gain. So what else are they tasked to do? Teach the folks right Christian living. Wow. And a lot of times that comes with a but. Comes with a but. You know, uh, you know, uh, I've, I've had this encounter, and um, um, many times over, I might talk to some young person. Are you sure you should be listening to that kind of music? And I've heard every argument known to man. But I'll say, is that the message you want flying into your head all the time? Because it's a message that is going against right doctrine a lot of times. And it's not a particular genre. Some of the worst in the world is country music. I mean, uh, I never even thought about the words in a song uh, so much so as I did uh, Hank Williams Jr. If heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I don't want to go. I got saved, and I was singing that one day, and I went, nuh-uh, uh-uh, hold up. I started talking to myself, nuh-uh, I, 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 I don't care if it ain't nothing. I want to go where God is. Amen? Am I making sense to anybody? So if I could sum this up, right, what we're doing basically, Titus is being told to help people live out the Great Commission. That's really what it's doing. Just help people, teach people to live out the Great Commission. And what is the Great Commission? To go into all the world, uh, telling people about Jesus and teaching people to observe the teachings of Jesus. Secondly, secondly, in doing this, Titus is told by the Apostle Paul to teach older men to take up their station as godly examples. That's what verse 2 tells us. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, and love, and steadfastness. Is that all? No, but it's a great list to start with. And we could and probably should talk about all these things. We probably should. When he says in verse 10, they're to be sober-minded, I, was, I kept looking for another way to, to put this. I kept thinking of phrases like, not drunk on anything besides Jesus. Now, God does want you to be drunk on Jesus. How do I know that? Because the Apostle Paul says in the letter to the church at Ephesus, be ye not drunk with wine, but be filled with what? All right, So because what, whatever fills you controls you. But I finally, I looked at some words from... Um, well, I don't remember who it was now. Maybe Danny Aiken. It was the Treasuring Jesus and Titus commentary. That's exactly where I got it from, but I can't remember who wrote this one. And he used a word that I, I love, and I, I was like, I can't believe this word didn't come to me. To be sober minds, to be level-headed. Level-headed. Now, are you level-headed? Are you level-headed? Now, men, I'm talking to you men, you older men, are you level-headed? Do you want to test that? Go to a restaurant and see how you deal with your order taking too long or your glass getting empty. Watch the evening news. Look at your political views. Do these things upend you and upset you left and right and again and again? It's likely, in general, you're not level-headed. Wow. How do you deal with the problem members of your family? 
Do you have to go in rages to be heard? Probably not level-headed. So he tells these guys, teach these guys how to be self-controlled. That's what he's basically saying. Teach them how to be sober-minded, self-controlled guys. You know what this really means? Teach them to recognize the teachings of Scripture and continually be submitted to the power of the Holy Spirit. You want to see somewhere else to decide whether you're level-headed? Look at how you make decisions. Are you rash in responding to things? He also tells them here, not, not just to be, be sober-minded, but he tells them to be dignified. What's another way of saying that? Reverent. Reverent. People, the actual translation is people who are worthy of respect. Let's go back to this idea of grandparents. Let's see who will make confession here tonight. Anybody in here is ever, I'm going to go ahead and raise both my hands. I'm telling you, I'm double guilty. I'll find out who will join me and be honest, because somebody in here is going to be guilty. Anybody in here ever struggle with talking ugly? Anybody? Okay, this size is a bunch of sinners. You guys are doing pretty good. Now, anybody lie? <laughs> Joe, Joe said, I did both of them. <laughs> right? Who's that person that as soon as they come around, you, you stop cussing? Who's that person that has garnered your respect enough to make you, make you naturally watch your language? For me, it's my grandma. My grandma would literally get a bar of soap and shove it in your mouth. So was it because I respected her? In the beginning, it was because I was scared to death of her. Her knuckles, those second knuckles, I guarantee you they were made out of iron. She hit your ear and make you check to see if it was still there. I, just like, wow. Ooh, okay, it's still there. I, I learned it through fear, but now I'm actually just thankful I learned the lesson. My grandmother taught me that respecting someone could shut my mouth, but she also taught me that if I didn't shut my mouth, it was because I didn't respect myself. And worse... You know, why, you know why she said that? Because you're always hearing your own words. Why are you saying them? Worse, there's God above. So the elder is told, teach these older men to be the kind of people who when people get around them, they respect them. They're reverent men who obviously have a respect for God. And when you get around them, they kind of, kind of rubs off on you. You want to respect God too. Men, now let me talk to just men. Are you the kind of man that, man that people always feel comfortable telling a dirty joke to? Are you the kind of man that someone always feels good about talking about sports with ad nauseum? Are you the kind of man that people don't mind luring you away from devotion to family through hobbies? You see, you see where this stuff hits home? Well, we need to recognize something. He's telling the elders to teach people this. It means it's a process of growth. So don't, don't lose hope. Somebody say amen right here. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. On and on and on. Do you guys see where these things are going? And you see why I say it's worth just digging through these passages? I think most importantly, we might recognize there in verse 2, is that there's, these older men are supposed to be steadfast. That means their, their faith is supposed to be sound and they're supposed to be noticeably, noticeably walking with the Lord. Noticeably, 
They're people, they're men who, who have love and they're loving men. Um, I, bet you, uh, I bet you I could say, I'm not, don't do it guys, don't do it, but I bet you I could say, hey, Eastrock, just shout out a couple names of men who you know to be loving. And wouldn't you imagine we would very quickly hear a lot of the same names? There, there are men in our midst who have a, a reputation of being loving men. What a great reputation, amen? So the elder, we're charged, Casey, we're charged, Brett. We're actually told, teach older men to love these qualities, seek God's help in these qualities, seek God's help in understanding these qualities, seek the Holy Spirit's help in pursuing these qualities. I can tell you, when I think of these words, I immediately think of my grandfather. And my dad would say things like, well, he didn't raise you. My dad was saying, like, you love your granddad a whole lot, but I grew up with him. I got to concede that to my dad, you know, because I didn't grow up. My grandfather, by the time I was born, was an older man, and he had learned a lot. And my grandfather had regrets about his youth, and he had regrets about how long it took him to learn some of his lessons. But by the time I landed in front of him, he was a veritable gold mine. And I just wanted to be around him. I don't want you men to lose heart. Because from wherever we are, I think we're urged to desire to grow. And probably my, grand, my grandchildren, if God blesses me with them, my grandchildren will get a better portion of me than my children got. And I would hope that for them. My grandchildren will have to hear me apologize to my children for things that I've learned that I did wrong. But I'm full of hope. Thirdly, and quickly, I should breeze through these, but they're so rich. Thirdly, the, the biblical elder is to teach older women to take up their station as household influencers. Now, I chose this word. I'm being a bit devilish today. I'm being a bit angelish, actually. A good, a good angel. There's this thing where people want to be influencers. Okay, I'll be honest. Whether you're a man or a woman, but particularly in this passage, women, if you're not influencing your home, if you're not influencing your friends' homes, don't be getting on no social media trying to influence homes of people that don't know you. <clears throat> so what does he tell them? He tells these women basically some of the same things. Be level-headed, actually. Be level-headed. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Don't be a bunch of drunks. Amen. Thank you, Tammy. Somebody need to laugh. I'll tell y'all a funny story as an aside. I, I really didn't believe this was going to happen. I was in Ukraine, and it's a big deal. Baptists over there would make our independent Baptists look like, they look like United Methodists. <laughs> Them Baptists is serious. Like, you, you can't even be a member of the church if you smoke. They told me that. I was like, y'all wouldn't have made it in North Carolina. There used to be a time here, if you didn't smoke, they wondered, should they let you in the church? I mean, you know, tobacco was king. So they're going to allow us to help serve the Lord's Supper. And they used a communal bowl. 
and you pass this joker, and people hand it to you, and you spin it and wipe it with a towel. And sort of the theory is they pass it and, and twist it a lot, you know, a little bit, and then you drink it, and the next person. And I didn't see no snuff dippers, so this didn't really bother me a lot. But he said there'll be this group of old women, they'll sit right over there on the side you're serving, you're going to have to stand in front of them and take the bowl away from them. And I was like, for real? Man, you're talking about going in. Because even though these Baptists are strict, they use real wine. They never had the prohibition, you know. They never had it over there. And this woman got it. She had to be about 912. She was Methuselah's niece. And I'm telling you, it sounded just like this. And, and I, you know, I tried to politely do like the, <laughs> man, for long, I had my foot right in the middle of her chest. I was pulling the, no, I didn't, it won't quite. <laughs> and I, I immediately thought of this passage. I was like, wow, there are applications where literally in observing the Lord's Supper, you're going to have to take a bowl of wine away from some woman. Whoa, this doesn't happen like this in church. We have Welch's. <laughs> we have to convince you to drink it. Take the shot for the Lord. Where does this exist among a lot of us now? We get in our little social circles. And, you know, alcohol becomes the feature. Don't say I'm wrong, because you know I'm not. So it's saying that was a norm in their culture, that people would use alcohol as a social tool Teach women not to be that way. Whoa. Is it don't teach men? Uh, no, like I said, there's always more to be given here. And plus the general instruction to all Christians is not to be drunk with wine. Here's my point, though. An elder is supposed to be equipping people, older men, older women. And then they get in partnership together. So the elders and the older men begin to influence the younger men, the elders and the older women begin to influence the younger women. Am I making sense to anybody? So then you begin to see the other side of this unfold. If you go back and look at verses 4 and 5 very quickly, the end of verse 3 says of these older women, they are to teach what is good. Wow, do you see that giving community right there? And in teaching what is good, they are to train the young women to love their husbands. Hey, guys. Did you know after you marry, sometimes the romance fades away? Did y'all know that? Especially you start having kids and they keep you awake and you never get to have romantic time, you know, where you watch reruns of, of uh, some show on Netflix and stare into each other's eyes and take long walks to the end of the driveway to get the trash. And... Now, I know no one here at East Rock, the romance is gone, right? Care? Okay. <laughs> Older women. I'm kidding. Okay, but can we be honest? Does the romance fade when you get into the grind of life? <laughs> Man, what a good time we had at Grant and Grace's wedding last night. I just thank God that I didn't have to clean up. Praise God. <laughs> Man. You know, but some point... You know, it'll probably be six months, a year. Who knows? I don't know. Grace is going to bend the ear of some of you ladies. 
and the honeymoon will be over. Oh, we're, Mary Lou's in the nursery, and she will. I mean, at some point, you're just going to go through this. You have the grind of life, right? And you're going to frustrate her. Life is going to frustrate her, and it's going to be important. Past the point of initial romance that older women help younger women discover what it really means to love their husband through every phase of the relationship. Isn't that cool? What's going on in our culture right now that prevents that is we have this thing where we're afraid to let people know we need help. Too worried about our image. So it tells those, those older women to teach these younger women these things. That, that means these younger women have had to learn these things themselves. And then, you know, and the way I would say this is the, the older women are to be household influencers and the younger women are to be home stabilizers. Nothing, nothing stabilizes a home like loving your husband, loving your children, living with self-control, being pure, taking care of the home. This stabilizes homes. And guess what, ladies? What this does is it stabilizes homes. It stabilizes local churches. It stabilizes communities. The home is the functional foundation of the culture. You know why our culture is shattered? Because our homes are shattered. I see the time. Let me fly on. And then the other side of the, the elders teaching these men how to embrace Christian doctrine and Christian living, they work in tandem with the older men to teach the younger men to be Christian men. I don't know of another way to say that. I, I, I'm concerned about boys even learning how to be men anymore. I, I, I'll tell you, I know we got a, some guests here tonight, and I'm not trying to offend you, but some folks don't even know they're male anymore. Not less men. That's how confusing a time we live in. And I'm not deriding anyone. I'm not demeaning people's inner struggles. We, we might even need to take up a time of saying, let me teach you that your maleness is a particular gift from God to you. Some people are, your femaleness. I know that's not a word. My, my daughters know this. If you don't know me, you, you know, let me tell you, they don't feel this is a put down, but I wanted boys. I was sort of scared to raise girls. I was, I just, you know, if I got boys, I'll, I'll just keep this ten and a half boy uh, right up in their quarters. And uh, God gave me daughters, and I, I had to learn to keep my heart in their heart, not my foot in their behind. They're just different. They're just different. And it's been such a growing experience for me. But, you know, we might get to the place we need to teach females what a gift it is to be a female. Somebody ought to say amen. amen. Might come to a point where we have to teach men, males, that it's a gift from God. God chose your gender. It's a sacred gift. At one time in this country, we had to come to an understanding that skin color is a sacred gift. And that sacred gift is precious and from God. Now we're wrestling with that with gender. My goodness. It's tough enough. I, this is a joke, ladies. Go ahead and put your swords away. I always say how ladies talk about how hard it is to be a lady or be a woman. Well, it's hard to be a man. We just ain't talking all the time. <laughs> I got a power sign from one of the guys. 
I actually love that little meme where it shows two silhouettes of heads, and it says on the outside, you know, man, how are you doing? Fine. And on the inside, it's a jumble of fears and insecurities and regrets. It's tough being a man. But it's freeing being a Christian man. You know, what, you know what the difference is? A man is taking up his proper community station as a male. A Christian man is taking up his proper station in the kingdom. He's really learning how to be just like Jesus. Well, I, I see the term and I see, oh my goodness, this is so rich. Let, let me just close. Those last two verses have so much. And I'm going to tell you, I, I can't remember, I really can't remember was it um, the author of the book, but it was so good, Exalting Jesus in Titus. That's the name of the book. He, he laid out six things in this last little section, verses 9 and 10. I, I, I call it this, teach workers how to live out the gospel in their work. Teach workers. So, so your elders are teaching you how to have solid church lives, solid home lives, solid work lives. Amen. And listen to these six things. I didn't come up with these. Uh, was it Danny Aiken or um, Platt, David Platt? It was one of those guys in that series. He says uh, that this, these two verses exhort us to be productive for your superior. Whoever you're working for, be productive for them. Be pleasing in your spirit. I love that. Be polite in your speech. Okay, man, anybody struggle with that part at work? I cut a man with a razor knife one time just so I could use a forklift before him. I hadn't read this book before then. And he didn't, and I knew he wouldn't turn me in because he couldn't pass a drug test and he would have lost his job. So I, you know, I made sure to cut the one I knew would fail the drug test. I'd be thinking. Be principled in your service. Do the right thing for the right reasons. Be public in your sincerity. Be praiseworthy for your Savior. He, he plucked all that out from, um, uh, that's, that's six different things he plucked out from verses 9 and 10. I just thought it was fantastic. That would change your work life. A lot of us go to work to get by. He says, no, be, be superior. A lot of us go to work and just be human. He's like, no, seek, seek the Holy Spirit while you're at work. A lot of us go to work and we just say stuff. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. No, no, control your speech. A lot of us go to work and, and uh, we do whatever to make the time go out. No, have principles at your, in your workplace and, 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 and make your testimony known public while you're at work. And uh, live, a, live a life where it would be praiseworthy to the honor of Jesus. Now, uh, I'll tell you, I, I could brag on a lot of people. I could brag on a lot of people. But if any of you have ever had to do business with Casey Adams, raise your hand. Who's had to do business with Casey? He don't work at no bank, so he says. It's a credit union. <laughs> You're a banker. You got to get over yourself. Don't say, no, don't say nothing. You should have signed up to preach tonight if you don't say something. I thought I told you to shut um, I am telling you, you go to this guy's work, and you're going to get that stuff. And then he beats himself up, and he laments. Why doesn't he do enough? We're wondering the same thing, Casey. 
No, no. I, I've seen him take time with people and counsel people to not do things that would not be the best thing for their finances. And I've seen it over and over and over again. And he's worried and, and, and concerned about how his coworkers see him and how he re- relates to them and, and does he do a good job and blah, blah, blah. He's always worried about something. I'm right, ain't I? And I bet you that so many of you guys are awesome in your workplace. And you do your family name good. You do your church name good. You do the name of Jesus a credit. And I want to thank you guys for living out the gospel. Don't give up on it. If you're not noticed by your employer, you're noticed by your father. If you don't feel useful to your clients, trust me, trust me. Often it takes a while for the impact of your honesty and your hard work to land on people. Keep doing it. You may not sense a reward in your paycheck. Concentrate first on having a reward from your father. On and on. I could go on and on. I probably should, but I'm not. I probably shouldn't. So I will. No. (laughs) Thank you, Rachel. (laughs) I needed that. I can't lie. I believe this exhortation is another call to the Christian church to just take up the truths of Scripture and live them out. And that alone will be a radically beautiful thing. A radically beautiful thing. Now imagine, just for one example, imagine if you went to work tomorrow and you said, I I will work hard today for my company. I'll give them everything I have between the hours of whatever to whatever. You know, your banker's hours. You know, I won't, I won't stretch my lunch. I won't linger on my break time. You know, I, just imagine how if you just walked into the workplace and instead of complaining about everything, there's a particular company in town. I recently did an event at this company. They have on average the highest paid workers in Person County, and it was a complaint fest. And, and I was... I was very good. My wife would have been surprised at how well I behaved. Because what I wanted to say the whole time was, shut up. You make more money and do less work than most people I know. And they, they made their company look bad in my sight. They made themselves look poor in my sight. I wasn't concerned if any of them had anything to tell me about Jesus. They had requited themselves so poorly with the place where they were laboring. So imagine if your home and you at work suddenly were a beacon of receiving the teachings of Jesus, then your testimony is going to flow easily out of that. But if you've got to explain away everything you do everywhere else, who's really interested in what you've got to say about Jesus? So what are we going to do, East Rock? We're going to cultivate communities of faithful dads and husbands, faithful men, faithful women and wives Faithful moms. We're going to create a community where we share what we have and we allow others to share with us. We teach each other things. And we're going to create and cultivate a community here where people would love to have somebody from East Rock working for their company. And that's what God's doing in this church. And he's called your elders to push you toward it. And he's called you to join in and help others embrace this radical lifestyle. It's only radical because the world's so broken. It'd just be totally normal in heaven. 
It's totally normal, but it's radical in the face of brokenness. Would you take up your call? Just answer that in a fresh way tonight. Would you take up your call? And are you willing to God for God to give you some buts? You know, you've been doing this, but. <laughs> but there's, a, there's another way. There's my way. Have you ever committed your life to the Lord? It's very likely that he could have done a lot of orchestrating to get you to this moment. Do you know that the blood of Jesus is necessary and sufficient to cover your sins? Did you know that Jesus was actually buried because he really died? And then he actually raised from the grave because he defeated death? And did you know that the, the, the offer God gives us is to trust by faith in the work of Jesus, and he will save us from his wrath, put us in his family, and teach us how to be influencers? in our world. How do you tap into that? You believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. You follow through. You follow through by baptism. Baptism doesn't save you, but it's an act of obedience where you show the world, my old life is buried and I'm raised to new life in Jesus. Get baptized. Maybe even let Michael Chuck baptize you. But it's dangerous. We'll give him some more training. Not everybody is as strong and loving and forgiving as Brent Davis. <laughs> but you are, brother. Thank you for that. <laughs> Whew, we got video evidence. That was my most memorable baptism ever. Michael Chuck. Hey, where are you with the Lord? And do you see the, the very awesome life he's calling you to? Let's pray. The altar is yours as we sing in response. Father, thank you for a chance to, to be here together tonight. Thank you for the chance to come under your word. Help your word not just to be in our ears, but to be in our hearts. And help us to develop the kind of community where we cultivate lives that honor, honor you and impact the world. In Jesus I pray. Amen.